Section 6 of The Magic Skin by Honoré Balzac Translated by Ellen Marriage This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 6 I am yours, I answered. Command me. You are very nice, she said, pressing my hand. Come and have dinner with me, and I will tell you everything, as if you were my confessor so this discreet suspicious woman who had never been heard to speak a word about her affairs to any one was going to consult me oh how dear to me is this silence that you have imposed on me i cried but i would rather have had some sharper ordeal still and she smiled upon the intoxication in my eyes she did not reject my admiration in any way surely she loved me fortunately my purse held just enough to satisfy her cabman the day spent in her house along with her was delicious it was the first time that i had seen her in this way hitherto we had always been kept apart by the presence of others and by her formal politeness and reserved manners even during her magnificent dinners but now it was as if i lived beneath her own roof i had her all to myself so to speak my wandering fancy broke down barriers arranged the events of life to my liking and steeped me in happiness and love i seemed to myself her husband i liked to watch her busied with little details it was a pleasure to me even to see her take off her bonnet and shawl she left me alone for a little and came back charming with her hair newly arranged and this dainty change of toilette had been made for me during the dinner she lavished attention upon me and put charm without end into those numberless trifles to all seeming that make up half of our existence nevertheless as we sat together before a crackling fire on silken cushions surrounded by the most desirable creations of oriental luxury as i saw this woman whose famous beauty made every heart beat so close to me an unapproachable woman who was talking and bringing all her powers of coquetry to bear upon me then my blissful pleasure rose almost to the point of suffering to my vexation i recollected the important business to be concluded i determined to go to keep the appointment made for me for this evening so soon she said seeing me take my hat she loved me then or i thought so at least from the bland tones in which those two words were uttered i would then have bartered a couple of years of life for every hour she chose to grant to me and so prolong my ecstasy my happiness was increased by the extent of the money i sacrificed it was midnight before she dismissed me but on the morrow for all that my heroism cost me a good many remorseful pangs i was afraid the affair of the memoirs now of such importance to me might have fallen through and rushed off to rastignac he found the nominal author of my future labours just getting up finot read over a brief agreement to me in which nothing whatever was said about my aunt and when it had been signed he paid me down fifty crowns and the three of us breakfasted together 
I had only thirty francs left over when I had paid for my new hat for sixty tickets at thirty sous each and settled my debts. But for some days to come the difficulties of living were removed. If I had but listened to Rastignac, I might have had abundance by frankly adopting the English system. He really wanted to establish my credit by setting me to raise loans on the theory that borrowing is the basis of credit. To hear him talk, the future was the largest and most secure kind of capital in the world. My future luck was hypothecated for the benefit of my creditors, and he gave my custom to his tailor, an artist and a young man's tailor, who was to leave me in peace until I married. The monastic life of studied that I had led for three years past ended on this day. I frequented Fyodora's house very diligently and tried to outshine the heroes or the swaggerers to be found in her circle. When I believed that I had left poverty forever behind me, I regained my freedom of mind, humiliated my rivals, and was looked upon as very attractive, dazzling, and irresistible sort of man. But acute folk used to say with regard to me, a fellow as clever as that will keep all his enthusiasms in his brain, and charitably extolled my faculties at the expense of my feelings. Isn't he lucky not to be in love, they exclaimed. If he were, could he be so light-hearted and animated? Yet in Fyodora's presence I was as dull as love could make me. When I was alone with her, I had not a word to say, or if I did speak, I renounced love, and I affected gaiety but ill, like a courtier who has a bitter mortification to hide. I tried in every way to make myself indispensable in her life, and necessary to her vanity and to her comfort. I was a plaything at her pleasure, a slave always at her side, and when I had frittered away the day in this way, I went back to my work at night, securing merely two or three hours' sleep in the early morning. But I had not, like Rastignac, the English system at my finger-ends, and I very soon saw myself without a penny. I fell at once into that precarious way of life which industriously hides cold and miserable depths beneath an elusive surface of luxury. I was a coxcomb without conquests, a penniless fop, a nameless gallant. The old sufferings were renewed, but less sharply. No doubt I was growing used to the painful crisis. Very often my sole diet consisted of the scanty provision of cakes and tea that is offered in drawing-rooms, or one of the countess's great dinners must sustain me for two whole days. I used all my time and exerted every effort and all my powers of observation to penetrate the impenetrable character of Fyodora. Alternate hope and despair had swayed my opinions. For me she was sometimes the tenderest, sometimes the most unfeeling of women. But these transitions from joy to sadness became unendurable. I sought to end the horrible conflict within me by extinguishing love. By the light of warning gleams my soul sometimes recognized the gulfs that lay between us. 
the comtesse confirmed all my fears i had never yet detected any tear in her eyes an affecting scene in a play left her smiling and unmoved all her instincts were selfish she could not divine another's joy or sorrow she had made a fool of me in fact i had rejoiced over a sacrifice to make for her and almost humiliated myself in seeking out my kinsman the duc de navarin a selfish man who was ashamed of my poverty and had injured me too deeply not to hate me he received me with the polite coldness that makes every word and gesture seem an insult he looked so ill at ease that i pitied him i blushed for this pettiness amid grandeur and penuriousness surrounded by luxury he began to talk to me of his heavy losses in the three per cents and then i told him the object of my visit the change in his manner hitherto glacial which now gradually became affectionate disgusted me well he called upon the countess and completely eclipsed me with her on him feodora exercised spells and witcheries unheard of she drew him into her power and arranged her whole mysterious business with him i was left out i heard not a word of it she had made a tool of me she did not seem to be aware of my existence while my cousin was present she received me less cordially perhaps than when i was first presented to her one evening she chose to mortify me before the duke by a look a gesture that it is useless to try to express in words i went away with tears in my eyes planning terrible and outrageous schemes of vengeance without end i often used to go with her to the theatre love utterly absorbed me as i sat beside her as i looked at her i used to give myself up to the pleasure of listening to the music putting all my soul into the double joy of love and of hearing every emotion of my heart translated into musical cadences it was my passion that filled the air and the stage that was triumphant everywhere but with my mistress then i would take feodora's hand i used to scan her features and her eyes imploring of them some indication that one blended feeling possessed us both seeking for the sudden harmony awakened by the power of music which makes our souls vibrate in unison but her hand was passive her eyes said nothing when the fire that burned in me glowed too fiercely from the face i turned upon her she met it with that studied smile of hers the conventional expression that sits on the lips of every portrait in every exhibition she was not listening to the music the divine pages of rossini cimarosa or zingarelli called up no emotion gave no voice to any poetry in her life her soul was a desert feodora presented herself as a drama before a drama her lorgnette travelled restlessly over the boxes she was restless too beneath the apparent calm fashion tyrannized over her her box her bonnet her carriage her own personality absorbed her entirely my merciless knowledge thoroughly tore away all my illusions if good breeding 
consists in self-forgetfulness and consideration for others in constantly showing gentleness in voice and bearing in pleasing others and in making them content in themselves all traces of her plebeian origin were not yet obliterated in feodora in spite of her cleverness her self-forgetfulness was a sham her manners were not innate but painfully acquired her politeness was rather subservient and yet for those she singled out her honeyed words expressed natural kindness her pretentious exaggeration was exalted enthusiasm i alone had scrutinized her grimacings and stripped away the thin rind that sufficed to conceal her real nature from the world her trickery no longer deceived me i had sounded the depths of that feline nature i blushed for her when some donkey or other flattered and complimented her and yet i loved her through it all i hoped that her snows would melt with the warmth of a poet's love if i could only have made her feel all the greatness that lies in devotion then i should have seen her perfected she would have been an angel i loved her as a man a lover and an artist if it had been necessary not to love her so that i might win her some cool-headed coxcomb some self-possessed calculator would perhaps have had an advantage over me she was so vain and sophisticated that the language of vanity would appeal to her she would have allowed herself to be taken in the toils of an intrigue a hard cold nature would have gained a complete ascendancy over her keen grief had pierced me to my very soul as she unconsciously revealed her absolute love of self i seemed to see her as she one day would be alone in the world with no one to whom she could stretch her hand with no friendly eyes for her own to meet and rest upon i was bold enough to set this before her one evening i painted in vivid colors her lonely sad deserted old age her comment on this prospect of so terrible a revenge of thwarted nature was horrible i shall always have money she said and with money we can always inspire such sentiments as are necessary for our comfort in those about us i went away confounded by the arguments of luxury by the reasoning of this woman of the world in which she lived and blamed myself for my infatuated idolatry i myself had not loved pauline because she was poor and had not the wealthy feodora a right to repulse raphael conscience is our unerring judge until we finally stifle it a specious voice said within me feodora is neither attracted to nor repulses any one she has her liberty but once upon a time she sold herself to a russian count her husband or her lover for gold but temptation is certain to enter into her life wait till that moment comes she lived remote from humanity in a sphere apart in a hell or a heaven of her own she was neither frail nor virtuous this feminine enigma in embroideries and cashmeres had brought into play every emotion of the human heart in me pride ambition love curiosity there was a craze just then for 
praising a play at a little boulevard theatre prompted perhaps by a wish to appear original that besets us all or due to some freak of fashion the countess showed some signs of a wish to see the flowered face of the actor who had so delighted several people of taste and i obtained the honour of taking her to a first presentation of some wretched farce or other a box scarcely cost five francs but i had not a brass farthing i was but halfway through the volume of memoirs i dared not beg for assistance of finot and rastignac my providence was away these constant perplexities were the bane of my life we had once come out of the theatre when it was raining heavily Fyodora had called a cab for me before i could escape from her show of concern she would not admit any of my excuses my liking for wet weather and my wish to go to the gaming-table she did not read my poverty in my embarrassed attitude or in my forced jests my eyes would redden but she did not understand a look a young man's life is at the mercy of the strangest whims at every revolution of the wheels during the journey thoughts that burned stirred in my heart i tried to pull up a plank from the bottom of the vehicle hoping to slip through the hole into the street but finding insuperable obstacles i burst into a fit of laughter and then sat stupefied in calm dejection like a man in a pillory when i reached my lodging pauline broke in through my first stammering words with if you haven't any money ah the music of rossini was as nothing compared with those words but to return to the performance at the fanambules i thought of pawning the circlet of gold round my mother's portrait in order to escort the countess although the pawnbroker loomed in my thoughts as one of the doors of a convict's prison i would rather myself have carried my bed thither than have begged for alms there is something so painful in the expression of a man who asks money of you there are loans that mocked us of our self-respect just as some rebuffs from a friend's lips sweep away our last illusion pauline was working her mother had gone to bed i flung a stealthy glance over the bed the curtains were drawn back a little madame gaudin was in a deep sleep i thought when i saw her quiet sallow profile outlined against the pillow you are in trouble pauline said dipping her brush into the colouring it is in your power to do me a great service my dear child i answered the gladness in her eyes frightened me is it possible that she loves me i thought pauline i began i went and sat near to her so as to study her my tones had been so searching that she read my thoughts her eyes fell and i scrutinized her face it was so pure and frank that i fancied i could see as clearly into her heart as into my own do you love me i asked a little passionately not a bit she cried then she did not love me her jesting tones and the little gleeful movement that escaped her expressed nothing beyond a girlish blithe goodwill i told her about my distress and the predicament in which i found myself and asked her to help me 
"'You do not wish to go to the pawnbroker's yourself, Monsieur Raphael,' she answered, "'and yet you would send me.' I blushed in confusion at the child's reasoning. She took my hand in hers as if she wanted to compensate for this home truth by her light touch upon it. "'Oh, I would willingly go,' she said, "'but it is not necessary.' I found two five-franc pieces in the back of the piano that had slipped without your knowledge between the frame and the keyboard, and I laid them on your table. You will soon be coming into some money, Monsieur Raphael, said the kind mother, showing her face between the curtains, and I can easily lend you a few crowns meanwhile. Oh, Pauline, I cried as I pressed her hand, how I wish that I were rich. Bah, why should you she said petulantly her hand shook in mine with the throbbing of her pulse she snatched it away and looked at both of mine you will marry a rich wife she said but she will give you a great deal of trouble ah dieu she will be your death i am sure of it in her exclamation there was something like belief in her mother's absurd superstitions you are very credulous pauline the woman whom you will love is going to kill you there is no doubt of it she said looking at me with alarm she took up her brush again and dipped it in the colour her great agitation was evident she looked at me no longer i was ready to give credence just then to superstitious fancies no man is utterly wretched so long as he is superstitious a belief of that kind is often in reality a hope i found that those two magnificent five-franc pieces were lying in fact upon my table when i reached my room during the first confused thoughts of early slumber i tried to audit my account so as to explain this unhoped-for windfall but i lost myself in useless calculations and slept just as i was leaving my room to engage a box the next morning pauline came to see me perhaps your ten francs is not enough said the amiable kind-hearted girl my mother told me to offer you this money take it please take it she laid three crowns upon the table and tried to escape but i would not let her go admiration dried the tears that sprang into my eyes you are an angel pauline i said it is not the loan that touches me so much as the delicacy with which it is offered i used to wish for a rich wife a fashionable woman of rank and now alas i would rather possess millions and find some girl as poor as you are with a generous nature like your own and i would renounce a fatal passion which will kill me perhaps what you told me will come true that is enough she said and fled away the fresh trills of her bird-like voice rang up the staircase she is very happy in not yet knowing love i said to myself thinking of the torments i had endured for many months past pauline's fifteen francs were invaluable to me Fyodora, thinking of the stifling odour of the crowded place where we were to spend several hours was sorry that she had not brought a bouquet i went in search of flowers for her as i had laid already my life and my fate at her feet with a pleasure in which compunction 
mingled i gave her a bouquet i learned from its price the extravagance of superficial gallantry in the world but very soon she complained of the heavy scent of a mexican jasmine the interior of the theatre the bare bench on which she was to sit filled her with intolerable disgust she upbraided me for bringing her there although she sat beside me she wished to go and she went i had spent sleepless nights and squandered two months of my life for her and could not please her never had that tormenting spirit been more unfeeling or more fascinating i sat beside her in the cramped back seat of the vehicle all the way i could feel her breath on me and the contact of her perfumed glove i saw distinctly all her exceeding beauty i inhaled a vague scent of orris root so wholly a woman she was with no touch of womanhood just then a sudden gleam of light lit up the depths of this mysterious life for me i thought all at once of a book just published by a poet a genuine conception of the artist in the shape of the statue of polycletus i seemed to see the monstrous creation at one time an officer breaking in a spirited horse at another a girl who gives herself up to her toilette and breaks her lover's hearts or again a false lover driving a timid and gentle maid to despair unable to analyze feodora by any other process i told her this fanciful story but no hint of her resemblance to this poetry of the impossible crossed her it simply diverted her she was like a child over a story from the arabian nights feodora must be shielded by some talisman i thought to myself as i went back or she could not resist the love of a man of my age the infectious fever of that splendid malady of the soul is feodora like lady delacour a prey to a cancer her life is certainly an unnatural one i shuddered at the thought then i decided on a plan at once the wildest and most rational that lover ever dreamed of i would study this woman from a physical point of view as i had already studied her intellectually and to this end i made up my mind to spend a night in her room without her knowledge this project preyed upon me as a thirst for revenge gnaws at the heart of a corsican monk this is how i carry it out on the days when feodora received her rooms were far too crowded for the hall porter to keep the balance even between goers and comers i could remain in the house i felt sure without causing a scandal in it and i waited the countess's coming soiree with impatience as i dressed i put a little english penknife into my waistcoat pocket instead of a poignard that literary implement if found upon me could awaken no suspicion but i knew not whither my romantic resolution might lead and i wished to be prepared as soon as the rooms began to fill i entered the bedroom and examined the arrangements the inner and outer shutters were closed this was a good beginning and as the waiting maid might come to draw back the curtains that hung over the windows i pulled 
them together i was running great risks in venturing to manoeuvre beforehand in this way but i had accepted the situation and had deliberately reckoned with its dangers about midnight i hid myself in the embrasure of the window i tried to scramble on to a ledge of the wainscoting hanging on by the fastening of the shutters with my back against the wall in such a position that my feet could not be visible when i had carefully considered my points of support and the space between me and the curtains i had become sufficiently acquainted with all the difficulties of my position to stay in it without fear of detection if undisturbed by cramp coughs or sneezings to avoid useless fatigue i remained standing until the critical moment when i must hang suspended like a spider in its web the white-watered silk and muslin of the curtains spread before me in great pleats like organ pipes with my penknife i cut loopholes in them through which i could see i heard vague murmurs from the salons the laughter and louder tones of the speakers the smothered commotion and vague uproar lessened by slow degrees one man and another came for his hat from the countess's chest of drawers close to where i stood i shivered if the curtains were disturbed at the thought of the mischances consequent on the confused and hasty investigations made by the men in a hurry to depart who were rummaging everywhere when i experienced no misfortunes of this kind i agued well of my enterprise an old wooer of feodora's came in for the last hat he thought himself quite alone looked at the bed and heaved a great sigh accompanied by some inaudible exclamation into which he threw sufficient energy in the boudoir close by the comtesse finding only some five or six intimate acquaintances about her proposed tea the scandals for which existing society had reserved the little faculty of belief that it retains mingled with epigrams and trenchant witticisms and the clatter of cups and spoons rastignac drew roars of laughter by merciless sarcasm at the expense of my rivals monsieur de rastignac is a man with whom it is better not to quarrel said the comtesse laughing i am quite of that opinion was his candid reply i have always been right about my aversions and my friendships as well he added perhaps my enemies are quite as useful to me as my friends i have made a particular study of modern phraseology and of the natural craft that is used in all attack or defence official eloquence is one of our perfect social products one of your friends is not clever so you speak of his integrity and his candour another's work is heavy you introduce it as a piece of conscientious labour and if the book is ill-written you extol the ideas it contains such an one is treacherous and fickle slips through your fingers every moment bah he is attractive bewitching he is delightful suppose they are enemies you fling every one dead or alive in their teeth you reverse your phraseology for their benefit and you are as keen in detecting their faults as you were before adroit in bringing out the virtues of your friends 
this way of using the metal lorgnette is the secret of conversation nowadays and the whole art of the complete courtier if you neglect it you might as well go out as an unarmed knight banneret to fight against men in armour and i make use of it and even abuse it at times so we are respected i and my friends and moreover my sword is quite as sharp as my tongue one of feodora's most fervid worshippers whose presumption was notorious and who even made it contribute to his success took up the glove thrown down so scornfully by rastignac he began an unmeasured eulogy of me my performances and my character rastignac had overlooked this method of detraction his sarcastic iconiums misled the countess who sacrificed without mercy she betrayed my secrets and derided my pretensions and my hopes to divert her friends there is a future before him said rastignac some day he may be in a position to take a cruel revenge his talents are at least equal to his courage and i should consider those who attack him very rash for he has a good memory and writes memoirs put in the countess who seemed to object to the deep silence that prevailed memoirs of a sham countess madame replied rastignac another sort of courage is needed to write that sort of thing i gave him credit for plenty of courage she answered he is faithful to me i was greatly tempted to show myself suddenly among the railers like the shade of banquo in macbeth i should have lost a mistress but i had a friend but love inspired me all at once with one of those treacherous and fallacious subtleties that it can use to soothe all our pangs if feodora loved me i thought she would be sure to disguise her feelings by some mocking jest how often the heart protests against a lie on the lips well very soon my audacious rival left alone with the countess rose to go what already asked she in a coaxing voice that set my heart beating will you not give me a few more minutes have you nothing more to say to me and will you never sacrifice any of your pleasures for me he went away ah she yawned how very tiresome they all are she pulled a cord energetically till the sound of a bell rang through the place then humming a few notes of pria chespunti the countess entered her room no one had ever heard her sing her muteness had called forth the wildest explanations she had promised her first lover so it was said who had been held captive by her talent and whose jealousy over her stretched beyond his grave that she would never allow others to experience a happiness that he wished to be his and his alone i exerted every power of my soul to catch the sounds higher and higher rose the notes feodora's life seemed to dilate within her her throat poured forth all its richest tones something well-nigh divine entered into the melody there was a bright purity and clearness of tone in the countess's voice a thrilling harmony which reached the heart and stirred its pulses musicians are seldom unemotional 
a woman who could sing like that must know how to love indeed her beautiful voice made one more puzzle in a woman mysterious enough before i held her then as plainly as i see you at this moment she seemed to listen to me to experience a secret rapture of her own she felt as it were an ecstasy like that of love she stood before the hearth during the execution of the principal theme of the rondo and when she ceased her face changed she looked tired her features seemed to alter she had laid the mask aside her part as an actress was over yet the faded look that came over her beautiful face a result either of this performance or of the evening's fatigues had its charms too this is her real self i thought she set her foot on a bronze bar of the fender as if to warm it took off her gloves and drew over her head the gold chain from which her bejeweled scent bottle hung it gave me a quite indescribable pleasure to watch the feline grace of every movement the supple grace a cat displays as it adjusts its toilette in the sun she looked at herself in the mirror and said aloud ill-humouredly i did not look well this evening my complexion is going with alarming rapidity perhaps i ought to keep earlier hours and give up this life of dissipation does justine mean to trifle with me she rang again and her maid hurried in where she had been i cannot tell she came in by a secret staircase i was anxious to make a study of her i had lodged accusations in my romantic imaginings against this invisible waiting woman a tall well-made brunette did madame ring yes twice answered feodora are you really growing deaf nowadays i was preparing madame's milk of almonds justine knelt down before her unlaced her sandals and drew them off while her mistress lay carelessly back on her cushioned armchair beside the fire yawned and scratched her head every movement was perfectly natural there was nothing whatever to indicate the secret sufferings or emotions with which i had credited her george must be in love she remarked i shall dismiss him he has drawn the curtains again to-night what does he mean by it all the blood in my veins rushed to my heart at this observation but no more was said about curtains life is very empty the countess went on ah be careful not to scratch me as you did yesterday just look here i still have the marks of your nails about me and she held out a silken knee she thrust her bare feet into velvet slippers bound with swan's down and unfastened her dress while justine prepared to comb her hair you ought to marry madame and have children children she cried at once no more than that to finish me at once and a husband what man is there to whom i could was my hair well arranged to-night not particularly you are a fool that way of crimping your hair too much is the least becoming way possible for you large smooth curls suit you a great deal better really yes really madame that wavy style only looks nice in fair hair marriage never never 
marriage is a commercial arrangement for which i was never made what a disheartening scene for a lover here was a lonely woman without friends or kin without the religion of love without faith in any affection yet however slightly she might feel the need to pour out her heart a craving that every human being feels it could only be satisfied by gossiping with her maid by trivial and indifferent talk i grieved for her justine unlaced her i watched her carefully when she was at last unveiled her maidenly form in its rose-tinged whiteness was visible through her shift in the taper light as dazzling as some silver statue behind its gauze covering no there was no defect that need shrink from the swollen glances of love alas a fail form will overcome the stoutest resolutions the maid lighted the taper in the alabaster sconce that hung before the bed while her mistress sat thoughtful and silent before the fire justine went for a warming-pan turned down the bed and helped to lay her mistress in it then after some further time spent in punctiliously rendering various services that showed how seriously feodora respected herself her maid left her the countess turned to and fro several times and sighed she was ill at ease faint just perceptible sounds like sighs of impatience escaped from her lips she reached out a hand to the table and took a flask from it from which she shook four or five drops of some brown liquid into some milk before taking it again there followed some painful sighs and the exclamation mon dieu the cry and the tone in which it was uttered wrung my heart by degrees she lay motionless that frightened me but very soon i heard a sleeper's heavy regular breathing i drew the rustling silk curtains apart left my post went to the foot of the bed and gazed at her with feelings that i cannot define she was so enchanting as she lay like a child with her arm above her head but the sweetness of the fair quiet visage surrounded by the lace only irritated me i had not been prepared for the torture to which i was compelled to submit mon dieu that scrap of a thought which i understood not but must even take as my sole light had suddenly modified my opinion of feodora trite or profoundly significant frivolous or of deep import the words might be construed as expressive of either pleasure or pain of physical or of mental suffering was it a prayer or a malediction a forecast or a memory a fear or a regret a whole life lay in that utterance a life of wealth or of penury perhaps it contained a crime the mystery that lurked beneath this fair semblance of womanhood grew afresh there were so many ways of explaining feodora that she became inexplicable 
a sort of language seemed to flow from between her lips i put thoughts and feelings into the accidents of her breathing whether weak or regular gentle or laboured i shared her dreams i would fain have divined her secrets by reading them through her slumber i hesitated among contradictory opinions and decisions without number i could not deny my heart to the woman i saw before me with the calm pure beauty in her face i resolved to make one more effort if i told her the story of my life my love my sacrifices might i not awaken pity in her or draw a tear from her who never wept as i set all my hopes on this last experiment the sounds in the streets showed that day was at hand for a moment's space i pictured feodora waking to find herself in my arms i could have stolen softly to her side and slipped them about me in a close embrace resolved to resist the cruel tyranny of this thought i hurried into the salon heedless of any sounds i might make but luckily i came upon a secret door leading to a little staircase as i expected the key was in the lock i slammed the door went boldly out into the court and gained the street in three bounds without looking round to see whether i was observed a dramatist was to read a comedy at the countess's house in two days time i went thither intending to outstay the others so as to make a rather singular request to her i meant to ask her to keep the following evening for me alone and to deny herself to other comers but when i found myself alone with her my courage failed every tick of the clock alarmed me it wanted only a quarter of an hour of midnight if i do not speak i thought to myself i must smash my head against the corner of the mantelpiece i gave myself three minutes grace the three minutes went by and i did not smash my head upon the marble my heart grew heavy like a sponge with water you are exceedingly amusing said she ah madame if you could but understand me i answered what is the matter with you she asked you are turning pale i am hesitating to ask a favor of you her gesture revived my courage i asked her to make the appointment with me willingly she answered but why will you not speak to me now to be candid with you i ought to explain the full scope of your promise i want to spend this evening by your side as if we were brother and sister have no fear i am aware of your antipathies you must have divined me sufficiently to feel sure that i should wish you to do nothing that could be displeasing to you presumption moreover would not thus approach you you have been a friend to me you have shown me kindness and great indulgence know therefore that to-morrow i must bid you farewell do not take back your word i exclaimed seeing her about to speak and i went away at eight o'clock one evening towards the end of may feodora and i were alone together in her gothic boudoir i feared no longer i was secure of happiness my mistress should be mine or i would seek a refuge in death 
I had condemned my faint-hearted love, and a man who acknowledges his weakness is strong indeed. The Comtesse, in her blue cashmere gown, was reclining on a sofa with her feet on a cushion. She wore an oriental turban, such as painters assign to early Hebrews. Its strangeness added an indescribable coquettish grace to her attractions. A transitory charm seemed to have laid its spell on her face. It might have furnished the argument that at every instant we become new and unparalleled beings without any resemblance to the us of the future or of the past. I had never yet seen her so radiant. Do you know that you have piqued my curiosity? she said, laughing. I will not disappoint it, I said quietly, as I seated myself near to her, and took the hand that she surrendered to me. You have a very beautiful voice. You have never heard me sing, she exclaimed, starting involuntarily with surprise. I will prove that it is quite otherwise, whenever it is necessary. Is your delightful singing still to remain a mystery? Have no fear, I do not wish to penetrate it. We spent about an hour in familiar talk, while I adopted the attitude and manner of a man to whom Feodora must refuse nothing. I showed her all the lover's deference. Acting in this way, I received a favor. I was allowed to kiss her hand. She daintily drew off the glove, and my whole soul was dissolved and poured forth into that kiss. I was steeped in the bliss of an illusion in which I tried to believe. Feodora lent herself most unexpectedly to my caress and my flatteries. Do not accuse me of faint-heartedness. If I had gone a step beyond these fraternal compliments, the claws would have been out of the sheath and into me. We remained perfectly silent for nearly ten minutes. I was admiring her investing her with the charms she had not. She was mine just then, and mine only. This enchanting being was mine, as was permissible in my imagination. My longing wrapped her round and held her close. In my soul I wedded her. The Comtesse was subdued and fascinated by my magnetic influence. Ever since I have regretted that this subjugation was not absolute but just then I yearned for her soul, her heart alone, and for nothing else. I longed for an ideal and perfect happiness, a fair illusion that cannot last for very long. At last I spoke, feeling that the last hours of my frenzy were at hand. Hear me, madame, I love you, and you know it. I have said so a hundred times. You must have understood me. I would not take upon me the airs of a coxcomb, nor would I flatter you, nor urge myself upon you like a fool. I would not owe your love to such arts as these. So I have been misunderstood. What sufferings have I not endured for your sake? For these, however, you were not to blame. But in a few minutes you shall decide for yourself. There are two kinds of poverty, madame. One kind openly walks the street in rags, an unconscious imitator of Diogenes, on a scanty diet, reducing life to its simplest terms. He is happier, maybe, than the rich. 
he has fewer cares at any rate and accepts such portions of the world as stronger spirits refuse then there is poverty in splendour a spanish pauper concealing the life of a beggar by his title his bravery and his pride poverty that wears a white waistcoat and yellow kid gloves a beggar with a carriage whose whole career will be wrecked for lack of a halfpenny poverty of the first kind belongs to the populace the second kind is that of black legs of kings and of men of talent i am neither a man of the people nor a king nor a swindler possibly i have no talent either i am an exception with the name i bear i must die sooner than beg set your mind at rest madame i said to-day i have abundance i possess sufficient of the clay for my needs for the hard look passed over her face which we wear whenever a well-dressed beggar takes us by surprise do you remember the day when you wished to go to the gymnase without me never believing that i should be there i went on she nodded i had laid out my last five-franc piece that i might see you there do you recollect our walk in the jardin des plans the hire of your cab took everything i had i told her about my sacrifices and described the life i led heated not with wine as i am to-day but by the generous enthusiasm of my heart my passion overflowed in burning words i had forgotten how the feelings within me blazed forth neither memory nor skill of mine could possibly reproduce it it was no colourless chronicle of blighted affections my love was strengthened by fair hopes and such words came to me by love's inspiration that each had power to set forth a whole life like echoes of the cries of a soul in torment in such tones the last prayers ascend from dying men on the battlefield i stopped for she was weeping grand dieu i had reaped an actor's reward the success of a counterfeit passion displayed at the cost of five francs paid at the theatre door i had drawn tears from her if i had known she said do not finish the sentence i broke in even now i love you well enough to murder you she reached for the bell-pull i burst into a roar of laughter do not call any one i said i shall leave you to finish your life in peace it would be a blundering kind of hatred that would murder you you need not fear violence of any kind i have spent a whole night at the foot of your bed without monsieur she said blushing but after that first impulse of modesty that even the most hardened women must surely own she flung a scornful glance at me and said you must have been very cold do you think that i set such value on your beauty madame i answered guessing the thoughts that moved her your beautiful face is for me a promise of a soul yet more beautiful madame those to whom a woman is merely a woman can always purchase odalisques fit for the seraglio and achieve their happiness at a small cost but i aspired to something higher i wanted the life of close communion of heart and heart with you that have no heart i know that now 
if you were to belong to another i could kill him and yet no for you would love him and his death might hurt you perhaps what agony this is i cried if it is any comfort to you she retorted cheerfully i can assure you that i shall never belong to any one so you offer an affront to god himself i interrupted and you will be punished for it some day you will lie upon your sofa suffering unheard of ills unable to endure the light or the slightest sound condemned to live as it were in the tomb then when you seek the causes of those lingering and avenging torments you will remember the woes that you distributed so lavishly upon your way you have sown curses and hatred will be your reward we are the real judges the executioners of a justice that reigns here below which overrules the justice of man and the laws of god no doubt it is very culpable in me not to love you she said laughing am i to blame no i do not love you you are a man that is sufficient i am happy by myself why should i give up my way of living a selfish way if you will for the caprices of a master marriage is a sacrament by virtue of which each imparts nothing but vexations to the other children moreover worry me did i not faithfully warn you about my nature why are you not satisfied to have my friendship i wish i could make you amends for all the troubles i have caused you through not guessing the value of your poor five-franc pieces i appreciate the extent of your sacrifices but your devotion and delicate tact can be repaid by love alone and i care so little for you that this scene has a disagreeable effect upon me i am fully aware of my absurdity i said unable to restrain my tears pardon me i went on it was a delight to hear those cruel words you have just uttered so well i love you oh if i could testify my love with every drop of blood in me men always repeat these classic formulas to us more or less effectively she answered still smiling but it appears very difficult to die at our feet for i see corpses of that kind about everywhere it is twelve o'clock allow me to go to bed and in two hours time you will cry to yourself ah mon dieu like the day before yesterday yes she said i was thinking of my stockbroker i had forgotten to tell him to convert my five per cent stock into threes and the three per cents had fallen during the day i looked at her and my eyes glittered with anger sometimes a crime may be a whole romance i understood that just then she was so accustomed no doubt to the most impassioned declarations of this kind that my words and my tears were forgotten already would you marry a peer of france i demanded abruptly if he were a duke i might i seized my hat and made her a bow permit me to accompany you to the door she said cutting irony in her tones in the poise of her head and in her gesture madame monsieur i shall never see you again i hope not and she insolently inclined her head you wish to be a duchess i cried excited by a sort of madness that her insolence roused in me you are wild for honours and titles well 
only let me love you bid my pen write and my voice speak for you alone be the inmost soul of my life my guiding star then only accept me for your husband as a minister a peer of france a duke i will make of myself whatever you would have me be you made good use of your time you spent with the advocate she said smiling there is a fervency about your pleadings the present is yours i cry but the future is mine i only lose a woman you are losing a name and a family time is big with my revenge time will spoil your beauty and yours will be a solitary death and glory waits for me thanks for your peroration she said repressing a yawn the wish that she might never see me again was expressed in her whole being that remark silenced me i flung at her a glance full of hatred and hurried away feodora must be forgotten i must cure myself of my infatuation and betake myself once more to my lonely studies or die so i set myself tremendous tasks i determined to complete my labors for fifteen days i never left my garret spending whole nights in pallid thought i worked with difficulty and by fits and starts despite my courage and stimulation of despair the music had fled i could not exercise the brilliant mocking image of feodora something morbid brooded over every thought a vague longing as dreadful as remorse i imitated the anchorites of the thebaid if i did not pray as they did i lived a life in the desert like theirs hewing out my ideas as they were wont to hew their rocks i could as need have girdled my waist with spikes that physical suffering might quell mental anguish one evening pauline found her way into my room you are killing yourself she said imploringly you should go out and see your friends pauline you are a true prophet feodora is killing me i want to die my life is intolerable is there only one woman in the world she asked smiling why make yourself so miserable in so short a life i looked at pauline in bewilderment she left me before i noticed her departure the sounds of her words had reached me but not their sense very soon i had to make my memoirs in manuscript to my literary contractor i was so absorbed by my passion that i could not remember how i had managed to live without money i only knew that four hundred and fifty francs due to me would pay my debts so i went to receive my salary and met rastignac who thought me changed and thinner what hospital have you been discharged from he asked that woman is killing me i answered i can neither despise her nor forget her you had much better kill her then perhaps you would think no more of her he said laughing i have often thought of it i replied but though sometimes the thought of a crime revives my spirits of violence and murder either or both i am really incapable of carrying out the design the countess is an admirable monster who would crave for pardon and not every man is an othello she is like every woman who is beyond our reach rastignac interrupted i am mad i cried i can feel the madness raging at times in my brain my ideas are 
like shadows they flit before me and i cannot grasp them death would be preferable to this life and i have carefully considered the best way of putting an end to the struggle i am not thinking of the living feodora in the faubourg saint honore but of my feodora here and i tapped my forehead what to say to opium pshaw horrid agonies said rastignac or charcoal fumes a low dodge or the seine the dragnets and the morgue too are filthy a pistol-shot and if you miscalculate you disfigure yourself for life listen to me he went on like all young men i have pondered over suicide which of us hasn't killed himself two or three times before he is thirty i find there is no better course than to use existence as a means of pleasure go in for thorough dissipation and your passion or you will perish in it intemperance my dear fellow commands all forms of death does she not wield the thunderbolt of apoplexy apoplexy is a pistol-shot that does not miscalculate orgies are lavish in all physical pleasures is not that the small change for opium and the riot that makes us drink to excess bears a challenge to mortal combat with wine that butt of malmsey of the duke of clarence's must have had a pleasanter flavour than seine mud when we sink gloriously under the table is not that periodical death by drowning on a small scale if we are picked up by the police and stretched out on those chilly benches of theirs at the police station do we not enjoy all the pleasures of the morgue for though we are not blue and green muddy and swollen corpses on the other hand we have the consciousness of the climax ah he went on this protracted suicide has nothing in common with the bankrupt grocer's demise tradespeople have brought the river into disrepute they fling themselves in to soften their creditors hearts in your place i should endeavor to die gracefully and if you wish to invent a novel way of doing it by struggling with life after this manner i will be your second i am disappointed and sick of everything the alsacienne whom it was proposed that i should marry had six toes on her left foot i cannot possibly live with a woman who has six toes it would get about to a certainty and then i should be ridiculous her income was only eighteen thousand francs her fortune diminished in quantity as her toes increased the devil take it if we begin an outrageous sort of life we may come on some bit of luck perhaps End of section six.